All right, the rest of us, we are continuing looking forward to a promising year. We started that series last week, a promising year. Last week, the title was Receiving God's Promises. Today, we're rejoicing in God's promises. And I just want to know, how many of you are looking forward to a promising year? All right, and you're so vocal. You maybe were trained in one of the earlier videos today. <laughs> All right, I want to begin with a true story. It took place in 2014 in California. A couple in California were walking their dog on their own property, so I get the impression they had a large parcel of property. And uh, as they're on this walk, they noticed a semi-buried, mostly buried, uh, rusty tin can. And so they began to try to figure out what that was. It's on their property, so they were unearthing it, and it was a lot harder to unearth than they thought at first. So they're digging and digging, and they try to pull on it. They can't pull it up, and then they dig around it, and then they're trying to pull on it. It's really heavy, and they pulled it and took a little look, and they got a, a look of some gleaming gold coins. And this thing was really heavy, and they walked it all the way back to their place and counted those coins out, took a good look at it, and then the first thing they did was went back to look for more. And sure enough, they went back and looking around to the same area, they found another can. And then this repeated multiple times until they found uh, as much as they could find, and they ended up finding... Uh, all of these cans full of coins, gold coins from the 1800s, a total of 1,411 coins. Most of them in mint condition. Some of, many of these coins were in better condition than any other gold coins from that period in, that anybody has in the United States. And so uh, they kept their names anonymous and they went to authorities and experts as to their find and what it is they found, and they had it uh, valued, and it came in with a value of over $10 million. It is the largest, most uh, wealthy uh, treasure discovery in the history of the United States, in the United States is the way I understand it. They now refer to it as the Saddle Ridge Hoard. You can read about it. And so I simply tell you this story because there's a moral to this story. And the moral is, go home and walk your dog. You know? <laughs> Man. Actually, uh, I, I have a better uh, moral than that. Uh, I tell you this story to illustrate a truth that we also find in Psalm 119, verse 162. I'll put it on the screen for you. It reads this way. I rejoice over your promise like one who finds vast treasure. So we're talking about discovering promises from God and finding how valuable these promises are. Discovering that they're as much to rejoice over as finding a vast treasure. Now, I, how many of you would be really happy if you found just, you know, a can filled with 
paper money up to like $1,000. I mean, that would be pretty cool, right? But just think about it. If you got $1,000, $1,000, that's $1 million. Wow. I mean, we were just like, oh, excited. I'm really excited if I find a dollar. It's like, that's kind of cool, you know? Now, we're talking about vast, vast treasure. And that's not even comparable to the eternal treasures that we should rejoice over and understand more and more. So point number one is this. Rejoice like one who finds treasure. Rejoice like one who finds treasure. This word of God is filled with promises. We are not going to, by any stretch, exhaust our search in this series. I'm just going to pick a handful of treasures that we're focusing on to get at the idea behind searching, the idea behind receiving these treasures, and then rejoicing over these treasures, and then remembering them as a way of life, and then rehearsing these treasures, the promises that God gives us in such a way that it touches our lives and makes a difference in creates a promising year for each one of us. So a treasure hunt in the way that I just described this California couple who remained anonymous, didn't want their property to to be invaded by people, and so they kept everything kind of on the hush um, and were able to do that because they had representation and all of that kind of thing. They accidentally found treasure. But Jesus tells us about a treasure hunt that we aren't to be accidental about. In Matthew 7, verse 7, and verse 8, I picked a few of Jesus' words in a larger section. Seek, and you will find. The one who seeks, finds. Often we don't think about the corollary. If you're not seeking for the promises of God, and you're not searching and searching and hanging on to and unearthing those treasures, you're not going to receive them. You won't rejoice over them. You won't remember them. You won't be rehearsing them. Your life is going to be unaffected by them, and that would be incredibly, incredibly sad. It would be a great, great loss. Now, I've never been uh, a treasure seeker in the sense of uh, digging for gold or panning for gold or mining for gold. And I understand this hoard was kind of, uh, the Saddle Ridge hoard is in the gold area of California. They don't know anything about the story about why somebody had decided not to trust banks, why somebody had put them in cans, and why somebody had uh, buried them and why they never recovered them. We know nothing about that. But I want you to imagine the mining days. Imagine the days when people would seriously dig holes and start looking for treasure. And if you get a hole dug far enough, you're pretty much in the dark. I've never done any mining, but I've seen pictures of miners who literally put on their miner's cap, and this is going to have to do as a substitute. This is my ball cap clip-on headlamp. I use this... uh, Many times a week, as I go in the dark and my, my walk with my dog, I'm not actually looking for the gold. I'm looking for other kinds of interactions with God and enjoying things. Um, imagine shoveling dirt, though, 
and you're, you know, in, in the hole and shoveling dirt and you're looking for treasure and you're, you've got good reason to believe you're in a good spot looking. Can you, you know what you're looking for and that's why you're putting so much effort into it, right? Can you imagine what it would feel like when the thing you're looking for, you, you see a glimmer of it uh, just shining through that just moved dirt? It's like, huh? You know, that was kind of angelic, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> right? And then you just like get really, really excited to start unearthing this thing and going for it. Now, we're going to talk about this a little later as it relates to our lives. But for now, let me just say, it's a little work. Shoveling through the pages. And you don't often... Um, find exactly what you were hoping to find and the treasures that you're after. And sometimes, you know, the promises that really leap off the page are few and far between readings. But man, it's worth searching and seeking for. All right? Now, some time ago, I was facing a significant problem that I had no idea how to fix. In fact, I had no idea even how to pray to get this significant problem fixed. But I happened to be very aware of promises and one particular promise came to mind and so I I decided I'm going to commit this one to memory. And even as I was starting to commit to memory, it began to be a promise that I began to use as part of my prayer request. And here's that promise. I'll put it on the screen. It's Ephesians uh, chapter 3, 20 through 21. And if you don't mind, I want you to read it out loud with me. It's on the screen there for you. Ready? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So there's a promise here, and there's something that is for all generations, which includes us forever and ever. And so here's something that I did. I memorized it, and I began to pray a prayer that went like this. In fact, I told uh, my wife about the situation. She was quite aware, and we began to pray, and I prayed this way early one morning, and we held hands, and I prayed a prayer like this. Lord, I don't even know what to ask. Would you please do immeasurably more than all I have been asking? Would you please do more than I can even imagine? I just didn't know even how to imagine the answer. I just didn't even know how to imagine what to ask for. Guess what? You could guess. I got the answer, an answer I hadn't imagined, better than I thought was possible. It came, and it was so excited. I was so excited by that because I was digging for, seeking, rejoicing in, and praying in these promises, and then to see it's like that headlamp, I see the glimmer, and then the response is like, you are so good, God, you are so good. He did it. God's promises are treasures on the screen. This is kind of a review of what this whole series is about. Receive them, rejoice in them, remember them, rehearse them. 
Now, I want to share with you a story that I'm simply going to read. It comes from Sky Jathani, who is an author. He's telling a story, true story. He shares a story from a trip he took to India with his father. While walking the streets of New Delhi, a little boy approached them. He was skinny as a rail and naked but for tattered blue shorts. His legs were stiff and contorted like a wire hanger twisted upon itself. Because of his condition, the little boy could only waddle along on his calloused knees. He made his way towards Sky and his father and cried out, One rupee, please! One rupee! Sky describes what happened when his father eventually responded to the boy's persistent begging. What do you want? One rupee, sir? The boy said while motioning his hand to his mouth and bowing his head in deference. And my father laughed. How about if I give you five rupees? He said. The boy's submissive countenance suddenly became defiant. He retracted his hand and sneered at us. He thought my father was joking, having a laugh at his expense. After all, no one would willingly give up five rupees. The boy started shuffling away, mumbling curses under his breath. My father reached into his pocket. Hearing the coins jingled, the boy stopped and looked back over his shoulder. My father was holding out a five-rupee coin. He approached the stunned boy and placed the coin into his hand. The boy didn't move or say a word. He just stared at the coin in his hand. Now, this story doesn't say this, but I have to wonder if he'd ever seen a five-rupee coin before. And here it was in his hand. We passed him and proceeded to cross the street. A moment later, the shouting resumed, except this time the boy was yelling, Thank you! Thank you, sir! Bless you! He raced after us once again, but not for more money, but to touch my father's feet. I'm going to ask a series of questions that I want to you to hear them for you. I'm asking them about you. I want you to see yourself in that boy's place. Is that you? Do you treat God like he has very little to offer you? When was the last time you searched and searched for promises as if they were treasures? Are all of your prayer requests beggars' prayer requests? Are you boldly asking for big things only God can do? So we are looking at rejoice like one who finds treasure. And point number two, rejoice. We can reflect God's glory. We're going to be looking at a passage that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Before I put it on the screen, I want to just kind of set it up with the background a little bit. Um, Paul is writing in this chapter about a comparison, and it's a comparison that's based out of Exodus chapter 34. 
And in Exodus chapter 34, Moses was on the mountain with God, and he comes down the mountain with two things. One thing, which you could say were tablets, those two things, but I'm going to say that's the one thing. The tablets with the Ten Commandments, or tablet, I'm, I'm not even sure. And that was a one thing. But the other thing he came down with, he didn't even know he came down with it. And as he came down the mountain, he freaked out the crowds that were there watching him coming down the mountain. So I don't know whether it was daylight or in darkness. I'm picturing it in darkness because here comes this light coming down the mountain, and as it gets closer, the light is his face. His face is literally glowing, and it's freaking out the people. I just have to uh, chuckle at God's... uh, pre-planning because he knows the beginning from the end he's pre-planning the whole thing and Paul is about to describe a comparison between the glory on the face of Moses which is fading the people were so frightened that Moses would wear a veil in front of his face so they wouldn't be frightened of him because this is like unearthly This is strange. What is happening to you? And so he just wore a veil to kind of eliminate that uh, fear from them. But his glow was fading over time, but he still kept the veil. And then as we read uh, 2 Corinthians 3, we get this comparison about that glow compared to a more significant glow. So the Old Testament Glory is being compared with a New Testament glory. And the first thing I think of is, and he doesn't even write about this so much in 2 Corinthians 3, is Jesus' glory. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Moses was the mediator of the first covenant. When Moses comes down from the mountain in the first covenant, he's got a little glow on his face. Jesus goes on to the Mount of Transfiguration, and you have this, this fulfillment. So you could say the little glow on Moses' face, if you can do this with words, this light is a foreshadowing. It's like a shadow of the brilliant light that's coming, and God is setting it all up, and people don't even know what it's about. But on the surface, it's about this. When you spend time in the presence of God, there is a glory that transfers from God to you because we were created to glow the image of God's glory. That's who we are created to be. What you need to understand is that on page one of the Bible, Genesis 1.26 and 1.27, Our purpose as created beings is stated that we are created in the image of God to glow the glory of God through our lives. But by the time we get to page three of the Bible, chapter three, already that purpose has been completely undermined. I'm going to talk about that next after we talked about this chapter. So having set it up that way, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 3 starting at verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All right? So I don't know if your mining, your searching in Scripture feels a lot like shoveling dirt in the dark with no results. And it feels boring to you. 
That actually is very natural. What needs to take place is that you need to turn to the Lord, and when you turn to the Lord, the veil will be removed. And when the veil is removed, lines of text will come alive for you. It's like you're in the dark with your miner's cap and you're hunting around and something gleams back at you as a treasure you want to hang on to. And you think about it and think about it and it becomes more treasured for you. I described that for you in my life a little bit on one particular event. That's what you need. But this little light is kind of a good illustration of what has taken place through Jesus in the new covenant. He came to die in our place. He knew he was going to do this from the start of his ministry. He knows this. He talks about this. He predicts this. And he takes our sins upon himself, although he is 100% the image of God without any soot stain on him. No sin stain is on him. So he is imaging God perfectly. If you know Jesus, you know God. You're seeing right through a human image of all the characteristics of God the Father and you get to know God by looking at Jesus. And Jesus then as the second Adam, the new image is going to reverse the curse and take our curse away by absorbing into himself our sin. So he goes to the cross, is buried, taking our sins away. But because he's completely innocent and the son of God, he not only conquers our sin, but he conquers the results of our sin, which is death and separation from God. And he is raised from the dead and he predicts it ahead of time. And he also predicts that he's going to be able to give you the spirit of God as a result of your faith uniting with him. We saw today two people uniting with Christ in his victorious crucifixion, burial, and resurrection so that the effects of his crucifixion and burial and resurrection becomes theirs. And now the Spirit of God comes upon them and when they're reading scripture now, the Spirit of God will, is, there's no veil blocking. And the Spirit of God could go, oh, that's what that means. So if this has been really dead to you and really boring to you, that's because you haven't been drawing near to the presence of God and turning to God. We just read here, but whoever, whenever someone turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is taken away. Then we read, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The veil is removed, there's forgiveness, there's freedom from sin, and now we're able to see reality and hear God and trust God and trust what he says. Verse 18, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. On Friday, um, it was my day off, so I was looking forward to going out on my walk with my dog a little later than usual so that I wouldn't have to wear my headlamp. You know, I'm so glad days are getting longer. Morning is coming earlier. The light is coming earlier. It's like hope. 
more light every day. But I was able to go to Dead Horse State Park and walk in a canyon uh, intentionally and walk up a canyon and there was just enough light to see without a headlamp. And then as the light was coming up, I'm in a canyon, so I'm still in the shadows, but the glory is above me. And I saw clouds beginning to change color because of the glory of the sun that up there... The sun is actually shining on them, but not yet shining even on the tops of the canyon yet. And there was color there. And then my, my prayer routine was interrupted by this sight, and I just include what I see in my prayers, and I'm talking out loud. I'm, I, that's why I try to pick places people don't see me. They just think I'm really strange. There's that person that talks every time he walks or whatever. And I'm, I just start incorporating the thoughts that God is bringing me. Here's the kind of thing that I was saying. I was saying, God, you are the, such a giver of gifts. You gave us light. Just with a spoken word, there was darkness, and you said, let there be light, and there is light. And here, this light, each day is a gift. It's glory. And the glory of this light is what brings beauty. And I started thinking about the fact that there is no visual beauty. You cannot see color if there's no light. Without light, everything is black in darkness. No variation of color. Beauty is a gift from God. And I start thinking this through. These gifts, I'm not supposed to just enjoy the sun, S-U-N. I'm supposed to enjoy the giver who gives us the sun. I'm supposed to enjoy the one who gives me the glory. And as I'm relishing that glory, I'm giving him more glory. I'm created to do that. Then I had this interesting thought. God makes people beautiful, and some people don't get it. They, have you ever known a beautiful person who knows they're beautiful and they think it's them? They don't even see their beauty as a gift from God? It's like, ooh, the color just went away. It's like not very pretty. It's like beauty gone dark. It's gone self-centered. And that's what we see from moving from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3. We were created in the image of God to have the glory make us beautiful as we reflect the glory of God. But then by chapter 3 already, they think it's all about them. And it totally messes up. All right, let's leave the beautiful person out. Let's now talk about strength. Strength. Anybody that is able-bodied and able to even just walk up a canyon, that's a strength that God has given. It's a gift. It's not me. And yet I see people all the time. And they usually stand in front of a mirror. I am strong. It becomes about me. You ever see that? It's sort of ugly. It may have been beautiful, it was all about God's gift, but it's not about God's gift, it's all about me. And strength, which is beautiful, used for the glory of God, suddenly becomes ugly and dark as it's all about me. Intellect is the same way. It's a gift. These gifts, if we would just give glory to God with the gift, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But if we start thinking, I'm smart, God says, ugh, don't be wise in your own eyes. It's just ugly. Right? 
So all of those thoughts kept my walk interesting as I'm praying all this out. Point number one, rejoice like one who finds treasure. Point number two, rejoice, we can reflect God's glory. Point number three, we are his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 reads, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. I've set this up well enough to say, you know what's ugly? Look at me! Look at me! I'm God's masterpiece! That's so childish. The look at me thing is what kids do. Look at me! Watch! I can jump! Look at me! Watch! I can stand on one leg! You know that all through our culture right now, we're adults. We haven't grown up. It's all about look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And it's like the glory has gone dark. We are masterpieces only if we are living out our design purpose and we're promised we are made in his image. Now, I want you to picture a mirror right here. When you look at a mirror, although it's a solid surface and we get it, when you really look at a mirror, you're seeing depth. You're like looking right through the mirror. That's what we're supposed to be. We say, look not at me, look at God. And we celebrate the gifts that God has given and those gifts are in you. And life is beautiful because then we move from glory to glory to glory as we get brighter and brighter and brighter and it's all about giving God glory. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the promises that you give us. We ask you to help us to grow up, to grow up to the point where we take on the initiative to seek, to seek, to seek, and hunt for your truths and treasures, to receive them, to rejoice in them, to remember them, to rehearse them, to live by them, to give glory to you. To stop waiting for the teacher, but to become the seeker, where we begin to experience glory that you are showing us and shining upon us and bringing out the color in us and bringing glory to your name through us. May we take pleasure in letting people get to know you the way we are seeking you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a prayer need of any kind, we have a prayer team to the left of the stage. We'd be happy to uh, pray for you, whatever your needs might be. If you don't know what the, these things I'm talking about looks like and how do I start, it'd be, just start. <laughs> start digging in and pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I'm turning to you. Would you turn a little light on my seeking? He'll do it. God bless you. Enjoy your week. Promises next week. Thank you.